Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week three in a message series called Starting Point. Now, if you're new to church or newer to our church, what we're basically doing is pressing reset on what we believe. We're kind of together as a church, walking through kind of our history, our heritage. And what we came to in week one, if you were here two Sundays ago, we talked a little bit about the framework that we picked up when we were kids. Each of us, when we were young, maybe not all of us, but most of us, whether you attended a church or a temple or a mosque or a synagogue or whatever, a Sunday school, wherever you learned about such things when you were a kid, we picked up a little grid, a little framework, a few things we learned when we were young. Things like Jesus loves you, God loves you. God answers prayer. God punishes bad people, and he rewards good people, so be a good person. These are just some of the things we picked up when we were kids. And we learned this stuff right around the same time as we learned about Santa Claus. Just right, that's the same age group, right where we were, right in there. But what happened for most of us is as we aged, as we grew older, our life experiences began to challenge the framework. And the things we were experiencing in our life sometimes didn't quite line up. And it wasn't that the framework wasn't true. It just didn't stand up to the rigors of adult life. So in other words, you know, you learned when you were a kid, well, Jesus loves you. God loves you. But when you were an adult, you got to be an adult somewhere along the line. You went, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I had a pretty terrible week. I feel like if God loved me, I might not have had such a bad week. Or, you know, God, Jesus answers prayer. God answers prayer. Oh, okay, but he didn't answer mine. You learned that Jesus healed people in the Bible, but he didn't heal your mom. You learned that Jesus loves the little children, but you know a couple of kids that are really, really sick. And so there's some things that have, have, have transpired in your life, and your adult experiences created space between you and the framework that you picked up when you were a kid. So for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but for a lot of us, We sort of just left the framework behind. And with it, the Bible. You learned somewhere along the line that the Bible is just one book. People still refer to it sometimes as the good book, not as a collection of books. So you had an issue with one little thing. You had an issue with one issue. One little thing in the Bible didn't sit right with you, and it was just easy for you at that point to just just kind of chuck it to the side. Lots of people respect the Bible. Very few people actually read it. And that's where we end up. So now we've come to a place where we're like, okay, we're trying to have faith. Like, we're trying to believe in God. You didn't, here's what happened. And this is true, I think, for a lot of people on Long Island. They didn't give up on God. They just gave up on the faith framework. They gave up on church. That most of the people who have joined or rejoined True North over the years, I think could be described as this. They didn't give up on God. They just gave up on church at some point. The framework didn't fit anymore. So what we're doing is we're pressing reset. We're finding a common starting point for faith as adults trying to find a new framework. Last week, if you were here, in week two, we talked about a very unpopular word. We talked about sin, right? And we talked about how you and I are not just people who make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, and we've all heard a politician, when they're caught doing something wrong, just try to damage control it by saying, well, mistakes were made. And you know and I know that's not an admission of guilt. And what we picked up last week was this. Our sin 
which, by the way, a sin is a mistake that you make on purpose. We've all done that. We all make mistakes on purpose. Your sin actually creates distance between you and God. Our sin separates us from him. You know this to be true if you are a parent. Has your son or daughter ever lied to you? Has your son or daughter ever stolen something from you? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about because that, that wound that gets created is a big deal. If you're a kid or you're younger and you've never thought about this, you might, never, you might not have had yet the presence of mind to put yourself in your mother or father's position, but when you do something like that, it creates a deep wound. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're not just disappointed because of a moral failure. It's not just that you're troubled because your son or daughter would do such a thing. It's because... Now there's distance between you, and you don't want there to be distance between you. You, don't, you, don't want, you want to be reconciled to your son or daughter. You don't want there to be this, this gap. And you know, and I know, that when something like that has taken place, sorry, isn't going to do it. Fine, I said I'm sorry. You know and I know that that little half-hearted apology doesn't cut it. And, and you can choose to forgive as a parent. And you can choose to move on. But you know and I know that the relationship isn't going to be restored until they own what they did. That's where we find ourselves in relation to God. Understanding as we begin, it's not just that we've all made mistakes. We're not just mistakers. We are sinners. And we've chosen to do things that have separated us from God. Now, today we're going to talk about where God begins the cleanup effort. And we're going to trace our roots back, not just to the starting point of our faith. We're going to trace roots back to the starting point of faith in general. Some of you may not know this, but there are three major world religions that all trace their origins back to one dude. Every Muslim on the planet, every Jewish person on the planet, and every Christian on the planet traces their spiritual lineage back to one dude, a guy by the name of Abraham. Any old youth group kids in the room? Father Abraham had many sons. Anybody? <laughs> I see you. Okay, so. Father Abraham, right, is where we all trace our heritage back to. These guys, all of these three major world religions trace their heritage back to this dude. This was the guy that God chose to begin the story of reconciliation. As God surveys the landscape and he sees how our sin has separated us from him, he says, I don't want this. I don't want this to be the case. I don't want to be distant from my sons and daughters. I don't want this gap to, to exist. So I'm going to make a way. And God begins to make a way for us to be reconciled with him all the way back in the beginning with this guy, Abraham. Abraham is where God begins the cleanup effort. All three of these world religions believe that God made the heavens and the earth. All three of these major religions believe that humanity screwed things up between us and God by our choices. And here, we come to, 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 to the common denominator, our origin point, the starting point of the starting point, Abraham. This is where God begins to clean up the mess. Have you ever, have you ever had a mess in your life that was so bad that you didn't even know where to begin? Can anybody relate to this? I remember, 
early on, and this is, I gotta measure this, this event in decades, because my daughter's 20 now, which is weird, but when she was really young, I mean one and a half maybe, a little, little, little baby, a little toddler, we were, our family was living, we were in our first house, and in the kitchen, the kitchen light was a globe. And it was, uh, have you seen these? It's like a light bulb that comes down from the ceiling, but there's a globe attached to the fixture, and the globe is held in place by three screws. Have you seen this? There's like a little rubber band around the lip of the globe, and there's three screws, and you have to tighten the screws enough that it holds the globe in place, but not so tight that it breaks the glass from the pressure. Who designed this? It's the stupidest idea ever for anything. So... When we moved into this house, I was dumb enough not to actually check the tension on the screws. And one night, making dinner, and the globe falls from its place and lands on the floor. And we had a tile floor at that point, and I'm gonna tell you, this glass globe, it didn't just break, it exploded. It sounded, you know that sound like a light bulb makes when it, it pops, like, like it was a boom. There was glass, the, the, the globe hit the floor. There was glass on the surface of the table. That's how, how, how it went up. All the countertops, there was just glass everywhere. And the corner of the room is my daughter Mackenzie playing. So now, I did what most of you would do. Got my car keys and I just left. I just was like, kid, you're on your own. Hope you make it out. Later, Gator. I can't, I'm, not, it's not my, I'm not cleaning up this mess. First thing I did, thankfully, I had my shoes on at the time. I walked right over, like crunch, 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 crunch. She was outside the blast radius of all this far enough. Uh, she didn't actually have any glass on her. I, mean, I think she had a piece in her hair or one. Like, it, was, it wasn't a big deal. But I picked her up. I was like, okay, 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 okay. You know, I'm like, and I, you know, I just, I, you, what you would do. You know, like, I, I put her down on the couch and I just checked her hair and her clothing. She was just, she didn't know what happened. She just, yeah, she's happy. And uh, she was good. She wasn't cut. So that was like, okay, cool. Put her in the playpen, and I come back to the kitchen, and I just, I'm looking at the kitchen, and all I could think was, we have to sell the house. <laughs> like, this is, this is it, just for sale, we're done, we're just gonna move out, leave this, I can't. Have you ever had a mess so bad, you literally didn't know where to begin? That's what I was looking at. That's kind of what God was looking at with humanity. And the first piece of glass that he picks up, the beginning of the beginning of the cleanup effort for what humanity had done to our relationship with God was this dude, Abraham. Now, why does God pick Abraham? Why does he choose him? Is Abraham some paragon of righteousness from the first century? Is he just, just like, like the man? Well, the answer is no. In point of fact, there's no measuring stick for righteousness yet. The Ten Commandments haven't even been given. This is so far back in history. And Abraham, not only is Abraham not some righteous stand-up guy, he's kind of a mess. Have you observed in, in the scriptures, if you, if you like to read the Bible or maybe you come to church and listen to me talk about this stuff, have you observed that God seems to be in the habit of choosing really messed up people to do cool stuff with? He loves to do that. 
Abraham was kind of a messed up dude. There's one point in the scriptures, Abraham's coming through Egypt with his wife. His wife, Sarah, was a beautiful woman, and they're traveling through Egypt, and Pharaoh got a look at Sarah, and Pharaoh, like when Pharaoh saw a beautiful woman, he would just go, I, I want her, she's mine now. And that's how it worked. Like he would just take a woman, and that she would be in his harem, and that would be the end of it. And as Abraham and Sarah are traveling through, emissaries from Pharaoh come and say, uh, she's coming with us, and Abraham kind of knew, like, I could stand up to this and fight it and probably be killed, or I could just let, roll over. So Abraham, when they're coming for his wife, goes, oh yeah, actually, she's not my wife, she's my sister. You can have her. Later. Bye, honey. That's actually what he did. So like, this, and I, we could go on and on, just, just trust me. Abraham, not really the guy you would think, if God is going to begin the cleanup effort, is God is, God is going to start with somebody to restore the relationship, Abraham probably wouldn't have been your or my first choice. But God begins with him, with Abraham. Here, way, way back in the book of Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So, understand this. God's people weren't even a people yet. Israel doesn't exist yet in history. There is no Israel. There is no there's no land, there's no territory, there's no boundaries, there's no, there's no we're insiders, we're outsiders, there's no belonging to anything. Israel is, is not a thing yet. And here God says, Abraham, you're going to leave the land of your fathers, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. God's plan, I'm going to create a nation, I'm going to create a people group within the world, a group within the group that will be my chosen, my own, my people. And you're going to leave the land of your fathers. You're just going to have to trust me. Just go. And God makes Abraham three promises. The first promise is, I will make you into a great nation. Okay, so Abraham understands immediately he himself is not going to become a nation, a one-person nation. Abraham understands this means descendants. And that is interesting to him because he doesn't actually have kids. He's getting older, and he has no sons, no children. And that's a big deal back then. For some of you, it's a big deal now, but it was a way, way, way big deal back then. He doesn't have any kids, and God is promising, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, I don't know how that might have landed on Abraham. He kind of doesn't, that's not a promise that he's ever going to live to see realized, right? That's a promise that's going to come much later. Abraham wants help now, and God's kind of go. it's like if you called 911, and they said, yeah, uh, the, 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 the engine of the police car has been completely taken apart. As soon as we put the engine back together, we'll be over there. You'd go, thanks for nothing. This might have been a little bit of, okay, a great nation, cool. I mean, great, that'll be great for later, but I'm not going to live to see that. What I really would like is just, could I have a son or two, please? I will make you into a great nation. Promise number two, and I will bless you and make your name great. How many of you before today had heard of Abraham? How many of you have heard of Abraham from the Bible? Yeah, most of you, or many of you. And a bunch of you are just too lazy to raise your hands. So <laughs> you've heard of Abraham. You know who he is, right? How about 
Zoar, the king of Bela. Anybody heard of Zoar, king of Bela? Anybody here ever heard of Chedorlaomer, uh, king of Edom? Anybody? Anybody seen that new documentary on Chedorlaomer, king of Edom? No, because they didn't make the documentary. Because he is a footnote in history. These guys were kings. They were someone that everybody knew. Everybody knew those names back when Abraham walked on the earth. And those guys, the kings of empires, have faded back into history, and we still know Abraham's name. We're still talking about him. For nearly 4,000 years later, this was roughly 1,876 years before Jesus. So we're, we're pushing, pushing 4,000 years later, and we're still talking about Abraham. That first promise came true. Second promise. And I will bless you. Oh, uh, sorry, the third promise. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Not every people, not every person on earth, every people group, every nation on earth will be blessed through you. You. Have you ever wondered if your life matters? Well, haven't you ever wondered, like, does my life matter for anything? Does it count for anything? Have I done anything worth doing? Have I, have I been a blessing to the world around me? Have I in some way made the world better? Have you ever wondered if your life... Think on this. Every charitable work ever done by a Muslim nonprofit, every charitable work ever done by a Jewish nonprofit, every charitable work ever done by a Christian nonprofit, everything ever done by a church, every, every hospital ever named, every, every well dug in a developing country, every charitable act done by you in the name of Jesus to help another person, all of those good works come back to this moment where God chooses Abraham. Yes, all of the nations on earth will be blessed because of you, Abraham. So Abraham's like, okay, cool. And then you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. Have you ever felt like, okay, God, God made you a promise, but he's been a really long time in keeping it? I think we can kind of all relate to that one, yeah? Come on, have you ever come to God and go, come on, promised. I know this is your will. Why, why is it taking so long? What's taking so long is like one of the most common phrases I use in my life. I say that, what is taking so long? I, I, I say that a lot. I'm an impatient person. And if some of you have been uh, in, in that sort of a situation with God where you feel like, like, like God has kind of promised you something and you're waiting and waiting, that's where Abraham finds himself. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering how he's doing. Another commonality between these three major faith groups, these three major world religions is, from time to time, all of us wonder, how are we doing? How am I doing, God? How do I measure up? Am I acceptable? Am I making it? Am I on track? Am I headed for heaven? Am I, am I in good shape? Am I doing good? Like, what's, how does it work? And for most of us, what we do in that moment, is we compare ourselves to others. Yes? What we do, if we want to know, when we want to know how we're doing, most of us kind of do this. We just go. I'm doing good. I'm not as messed up as that guy is. 
I'm not as messed up as that girl is. I mean, I, you see what she's saying on social media. You see what he's posting. You see what they're into and what they're doing. And, I'm blah, 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 blah. and you just sort of look around. And come on, you don't have to look too far to find somebody in your life who's messed up, right? Makes you feel better about yourself. Some of you, that's why you have these friends in your life. Some of you have friends who are messed up in your life because they make you feel better about you. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that a little too close to home? My bad. Um, we compare ourselves to one another. So time goes by after the promise, and there's this gap between the promise and the payoff. God's made a promise, but it's not happening. And now Abraham's wondering, how am I doing? Am I okay? Am I, what's the story? How do I measure up? Are you going to deliver the promise? And he's worried because he has no heir. And in this century, in this era, it's messed up, but it's how it was. If a man died, his wife didn't inherit the estate. Women couldn't inherit back then. They couldn't own property or anything. And so if a man died without sons, the estate went to his chief servant, his head servant. And so Abraham is praying, and he's like, I, I don't want my estate to go to Eleazar, my, my, my head servant. I, I want a son, and you promised. And you said there wouldn't just be sons. You said there'd be a nation and nothing, and I'm getting old, and she's getting old. And it's starting to look like you weren't going to keep your promise, so what gives? He's praying prayers like that. Some of you have prayed prayers like that before. This is where Abraham is praying, and this is what God says. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So he takes Abraham outside, and Abraham looks up at the sky. Now, if you live on Long Island, you look up at the night sky and go, wow, okay, so I'll have 10 or 20 descendants, I guess, over the years. That's amazing. Because that's how many stars you can see on Long Island. But have you ever looked up at the night sky from a place with no light pollution? You ever looked up at the night sky from the southwest or, or way, maybe way upstate or someplace, and you just, I mean, if you're from New York, I still remember the first time I saw the night sky from someplace else. I mean, you just, you look up and you just like, shut up. Has that been up there the whole time? Abraham is looking at the expanse of the Milky Way galaxy, which just looks like a haze because there are so many points of light that he can't count them anymore. And he's looking at all this stuff. And seeing, okay, that's going to be my descendant. That's my lineage. But, but now, so God is promising that, and right now, I don't even have one son. So what is Abraham to do in this moment? What does he do? Most of us would handle it like this. <sighs> okay, cool. Thanks for that. It's what you said last time. It's what you said last time. I heard that. You told me that once before, and it's been years and nothing. That's how most of us would handle it. It's actually not what Abraham did. And gang, listen up. If you're a theologian, listen up. You care about theological concepts? Don't sleep on Genesis 15, 6. It's this little verse takes place. It's just embedded in this obscure little part of the Bible that you might not be familiar with, but it is the starting point of the starting point, not just of our faith. It's the starting point of all faith. This is the beginning of faith. Don't sleep on this. This is so big. Genesis chapter 15, 6. And Abram believed the Lord. 
and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. God counted him as righteous. He wasn't independently righteous. He wasn't some stand-up guy. He wasn't some holy man, holiest among the nations for God to begin with him to, for the clean-up effort of mankind. No, he's just an ordinary, broken, jacked-up dude. But what pleases God about Abraham is Abraham believed him. Abraham resisted whatever temptation there might have been to go, yeah, right. Sure. Abraham believed the Lord. Another translation says God credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. Come on. Come back to the source of it. Come back to the beginning of it. Righteousness. In Genesis 15, in the way, way, way back, is imparted to the man who begins our faith tradition. Not because of his tribe, not because of his lineage, not because of his righteous behavior. Righteousness is imparted to him because he believes, because of his faith. You've heard this before. Could it be that simple? Our Jewish brothers and sisters believe that you get to heaven because of the tribe you're born into because you're born as, as one of the, the, the chosen. And you can convert and become one of the chosen, but then you're adopted in, and it's about your lineage. Our Muslim brothers and sisters believe you get to paradise by listening to Allah and the prophets he sent and by doing a combination of good deeds. And then ultimately, you get there, and you're not really gonna know how you're doing. You'll, get, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out in eternity. And Christians for a long time had it all messed up and we were all about you know, works and, 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 and observing religion. Could it be that religion categorically had it wrong? That all of the religions had it wrong? That we all jacked it up, that we forgot Genesis 15, 6, that we forgot the, the track that this lays for us. It's under, it would be understandable if we, if we had forgotten it because every single other thing in our life is performance-based. When you grew up, when you were a little kid, you, were, you got a cookie if you were good, and you got a slap on the wrist if you were bad. Some of us got a slap somewhere else. If you grew up in the 80s, you got a smack somewhere else. When you were in school, if you did good on your test, you got rewarded, you got high-fived. If you did bad on your test, you learned there's shame attached to that. When you were on the sports field, you excelled if you worked hard and you lost if you, if you, if you, if you didn't work hard. And, and when you got to, to work and your job and your relationships and every single other category of everything in your life has been based upon performance. So it would be understandable if we categorically missed it. And I think maybe we did. This thing, this important thing, is not based on our performance. Righteous standing with God. The answer to the question, how are we doing, doesn't come from what tribe you were born into. And it doesn't even come from righteous behavior. Righteous standing with God is imparted to us because of what we believe. That's the starting point, not just of our faith, but of faith, that we believe God. So for you, as you gather this week in your groups, this is your question. And I'd like all of you to wrestle with this. In your mind and in your faith journey, 
Does how you're doing with God depend on the tribe you were born into? Does it depend on your good behavior? Or does it depend on what you believe? Does righteous stand, for you, does righteous standing with God come from the tribe you were born into? Does it come from righteous behavior? Or does it come from what you believe? Rotate on that, kick that around for a week, and we'll pick it up right from here next week for part four. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we all have it in us to think that this is about behaving well. We all have it in us to think that this is about measuring up, keeping the commandments, that we might someday prove ourselves worthy of your love and acceptance. But Father, in the way, way back, not just with Jesus, not just with Moses and the prophets, but way, way back to Abraham, you show us and you demonstrate that righteous standing with you is not a matter of measuring up to somebody else's rules and standards. It's not a matter of keeping the laws. It's a matter of what we believe. So we pray together, create faith within us to believe you in this, to trust you in this, that we might close the gap created between us by our sin. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.